0: You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Should doctors ever lie, betray a confidence, or bend the law? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me today is Dr. Frederick Abrams. Dr. Abrams specialized in obstetrics and gynecology for over 40 years. He is the former chair of the Ethics Committee of the American College of Obstetricians, served on numerous ethics committees, has taught biomedical ethics, and wrote the book Doctors on the Edge. Will your doctor break the rules for you? Dr. Abrams, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable.
1: Thank you, Susan.
0: Tell us about your background and how it led to writing this book.
1: It really came from writing the foreword to another book about the Holocaust and the role that doctors played in it. Someone uh, by the name of Vivian Spitz had written a book about the Nazi doctors, and she asked me what I knew about it, and I was very interested in it because it showed how a whole class of physicians had lost sight of the medical ethic in Germany. Well, anyway, I wrote the forward. Her publisher called me and said, gee, that was very good. I didn't have to edit your forward. Have you written anything else? And I said, yes, a few short stories. She asked to read them. I sent them to her, and she called me back and said, can you make a book? And that's how it came about.
0: And how have doctors responded to your book?
1: Well, the doctors have responded wonderfully. Most of them have said, gee, you're really telling it like it is. Somebody came up to me and said, gee, you've got guts to publish that stuff. (laughs) It's been very well received. Two of them are using it for teaching, one teaching palliative care and the other general ethics to the residents in a school in Maine. Another physician wrote a review on Amazon and said every nurse and medical student should read this book. So, in a word, the profession is thought very highly of it. The first
0: sentence in the chapter titled Ask Me No Questions reads, quote, If there were a reality television program called Spot the Adulteress, no one would pick Laura out of the lineup to brand with the scarlet letter, unquote. What's Laura's story?
1: Laura was a wonderful young lady who I knew for many years. She... Uh, was very devoted to her two children. Her husband was a very good accountant, and to be a good accountant, you have to be pretty rigid and probably a little obsessive-compulsive. And he went by the rules very, very strictly and solidly in his life and in her life. And she had a lot of respect for him, and he kind of led the way, certainly did all the accounting, and even dictated when and how many kids they would have. Well, as, as I said in the book, he, he was a very caring kind of person, but he wasn't a very attentive kind of person. Laura was a schoolteacher, and she was a very sweet young thing who one night had to stay after school for a teacher's meeting. Her husband was away doing the taxes at that season, and she was invited by a charming young assistant principal to stop by his house on the way home. One thing led to another, and more out of appreciation than compassion, she let herself go that one night, and unhappily, that one mischance led to a pregnancy. I got all of this story in the middle of the night, when Laura called me and said she was in terrible pain, I sent her off to the emergency room where I was going to meet her. And When I did, it became clear to me that she had some sort of a catastrophe going on in her abdomen. And it was when I asked her about her menstrual periods that she explained to me what had happened. Well, she was so horribly upset at the possibility that her husband would divorce her as a woman unfit to raise his children because he had had a vasectomy and couldn't have been the father of what turned out to be a tubal pregnancy with a hemorrhage. We had to get her to surgery, yet we had to preserve her confidentiality, even from her husband under these circumstances. And because of the way things are run in hospitals and insurance companies, it was bound to come out. And so we contrived a way to disguise her diagnosis and operate on her, and at that point, I was in the nasty position of having falsified a medical record. It came back to haunt me when her primary care physician called me up postoperatively and said, thank you for sending me the summary of her records, Uh, but there was a pregnancy test there, something that I had not noted or written about, and I had denied an ectopic, actually having done a procedure by laparoscopy where nobody but me could see what was going on inside. And he said, I saw a pregnancy test, and I really sweated beads because I had neglected to remove the pregnancy test from the medical record, and uh, he was calling me on it. But we... Both agreed that it was probably in a mistake, and every day since then, I've always wondered if one of these days she was going to tell him either if she were angry or if she were very loving what had happened, in which case I would have been in just as bad a position as she was at the time having falsified the record.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Frederick Abrams, discussing his book, Doctors on the Edge. Will your doctor break the rules for you? Dr. Abrams, how do you respond to doctors who say, if I falsify official records, I risk my medical license, my
1: livelihood? It was very true, and at the time, uh, it's kind of what we would call force majeure in the law. You just have to do what you think is the highest good. I did have to get her to surgery. I did have to actually save her life. I didn't have time to debate with her about consent. I could have forced it, but it would have been a heck of a struggle from the emergency room. To carry somebody kicking and screaming to the operating room against her consent. And uh, it, it was, I, I couldn't deny that that's a very hazardous thing to do. I don't recommend it, but in the emergency room, you don't have time to contemplate. Uh, a lot of people in an ivory tower can sit and talk philosophy. But when you're there, you've got to do something. And that occurred to me as the best thing to do under the circumstances.
0: So what's your best advice to practitioners who are on the front line, in the emergency room, in the office, in the hospital, in terms of responding to an ethical dilemma?
1: I think more basic than truth-telling to physicians is the other ancient medical precept, which is, in the first place, do no harm. And I think sometimes... For the sake of the patient, not to the patient, but for the patient, I think the truth can be slighted or averted, and sometimes fabrications are necessary. There are other situations where the law is stretched or broken because, again, everything that you do is oriented to what is good for the patient as far as you're able to determine and as far as the patient is able to tell you.
0: Looking back, do you have any regrets? Would you have done anything differently in this situation?
1: Well, if I had had a lot of time, as I have in other situations that weren't so pressing and urgent, I would have dipped my toe into the waters to see how her, patient, how her husband would have reacted. I would have tried to tell the truth and and see if that would have been a good solution. Counseling often in a situation like this, will be helpful. But again, in the emergency room, you have to make your decisions now.
0: And having served on numerous ethics committees and authored ethical guidelines, what advice do you have for ethics committees when these types of questions come forth?
1: Basically, I take a look at some comment that Isaac Asimov said. He He's this famous science fiction writer you may know. And what he said is, never let your sense of morals get in the way of doing what's right. It's very careful when you violate conventional ethics, but there are times, and the book really is all about the times when you couldn't quite go with conventional ethics. And conventional ethics is always do this or never do that. And I find in real life, there are a lot more sometimes's than always or never's. These are the exceptions, mostly, that I wrote about.
0: And How did you develop your passion for biomedical ethics?
1: Well, that's interesting because it really started way back in the 60s when Colorado was the first state that passed an abortion law permitting abortion under fairly stringent circumstances. No other state in the union had passed one, and I had encountered a young lady in my office who, at age... Uh, 13, was pregnant, uh, came from a good family. This was uh, certainly an unexpected turn of events. I could do nothing for her. And instead, she went off to Mexico and got an abortion. Later on, after we had passed the abortion law in Colorado, I found some people who were using abortion as a means of contraception. And it struck me as terribly wrong. That Certainly, it's a last resort kind of behavior, ought to be. And I saw that in some cases it seemed to be very right, and in some cases it seemed to be wrong. But the law deals in absolutes, guilty or not guilty. And so they say, yes, you can have one, or no, you can't. Of course, over the last years since Roe v. Wade, there have been different modifications placed on the law and some of them perhaps for the better, because they have placed some reasonable limits, but they have also attempted to place some unreasonable limits on a woman's right to choose. Anyway, when I saw these two conflicting positions, I realized that in medicine we were trained beautifully but educated poorly, and that it was necessary to expand my knowledge base into more philosophy and ethics. I was very good in comparative anatomy and biochemistry and organic and all of those things, but the medical school curriculum held very little in the way of humanism, in the way of dealing with people, in the way of breaking bad news, all of these critical things that doctors encounter all the time but have had very little training for. Happily, recently, there's been a great trend to introduce ethics not as an elective, but as a mandatory course in medical school.
0: And you're donating profits from your book?
1: That's right. My profits are going to that center because sooner or later, we either all were or are or will be patients. And we want people to know something beside the technical aspects of medicine and nursing. And that's what they, I hope, will learn in the bioethics center.
0: Dr. Abrams, thank you for joining us today to discuss your book, Doctors on the Edge. Will your doctor break the rules for you? I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.